Welcome to the Project Life Podcast. I am Mike Watson. On this podcast, we're going to explore being a dad and operating the world in that role. Also, the other role of just being a dude, being a man in this world. And then lastly, it's about running a business with my wife. So the ins and outs of how we make that happen, advice and things that I've learned over my lifetime and things that actually work to grow our business. So enjoy this episode of Project Life with Mike Watts and have a great rest of the day. Welcome back to Project Life with Mike Watts. So I'm doing things a little bit different here. Um, I actually have a full-blown interview for you today, and this is going to kick off season two of the interview series. And I just decided I want to start bringing some people on here as well, just to kind of further my research. Like they're amazing workers as well, but then uh, just for um, stuff that I'm interested in. So and I know it's super, super valuable for the audience. So Megan Watterson is the guest today on her website. Uh, I would just, you know, Kate and I on the Kate and Mike show, we read the bios. There's a bio, there's a short bio, and then there's a super short bio. But I'm going to go ahead and just read her bio so you can get a good feel for who she is. Megan Watterson is an author, meditation teacher, and scholar of her divine feminine who inspires seekers to live guided by the soul voice inside of them. Her first book, Reveal, came out in 2013, is described as a united prayer by Eve Ensler, life-changing by Dr. Christiane Northrup, my mother-in-law, and Blessings to the World by Gabrielle Bernstein. She She's the co-author of How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People, Spirit, Spiritual Advice for Modern Relationships. She... Uh, also wrote a collection of 40 love poems to the divine with artwork um, by the this, this person. I'm not able to pronounce their name at all. Um, but the Sutras of Unspeakable Joy. And she's the author of the Divine Feminine Oracle. It's a card deck and a guidebook for embodying ra- radical love, which comes out in 2018. And then she's currently writing her book, which we talked about in our interview about Mary Magdalene, which comes out for in Hay House in 2019. She has a master's degree of theological studies from Harvard Divinity School and a master's of divinity from the Union Theological Seminary at Columbia University. She leads retreats and workshops of divine feminine and soul voice meditation. Her work has appeared in New York Times, Forbes, Huffington Post, Marie Claire, and she lives with her young son, his overwhelming array of Star Wars paraphernalia, and she lives in Cleveland, Ohio. She is, I call her my uh, unicorn. Um, She like speaks, does unicorn speak like unicorn language because she writes these epic just text messages that are so detailed and so out of my realm of world of communication that I have no idea. Like it is, it's like on a whole nother planet. Uh, I love Megan so much. We have been, we have spent, I actually met her through Kate. Uh, We have spent quite a few, quite a bunch of time together, London, airplanes, like California, New York, like all over the place. We spent a bunch of time together and I always find it really refreshing to talk to her. Um, And she is such a, such a light for the world. And just having this conversation with her was really informative based off the fact that we dove into quite a few topics. We talked about um, her speaking career, how she goes about writing, how she prepares for talks. And then the thing that I'm really interested in for her, because I'm on this deep dive, right? I grew up Catholic. Oh, Catholic. Oh, Catholic. Um, I grew up in a house. Sorry, I didn't move my backpack. Uh, that was, I was raised Catholic. You know, my parents were Catholic. They grew up Catholic. Like, so the shebang of Catholic, the one thing that I never understood from a religion perspective is I think the, the number was like 80% of what we believe like as myself as an adult 
is that that's what our child, our children just take on the same religion that we believe in. And we don't give them any other option. And then all of a sudden there's these wars and there's fights about religion, all whole shebang. Right. And there's all these teachings. And then I always thought it was Jack that like, are completely whack that like only men were allowed to be priests in the Catholic church and like how boring it was when I was a kid to go to these places and how just boring some of these guys talks were. Um, and I knew there's name sermon and stuff like that. But then I was also fascinated by like these people that I heard this the other day on a, uh, on a podcast I was listening to. This guy is super, he's like really Christian and everything he dedicates his life to is Jesus Christ. And so he calls, he got Jesus punched, which I, that was a good, like kind of laugh out loud moment. And he said, everybody experiences a Jesus punch in their life. Like, I don't really know what that means. So I was, I wanted to dive into these topics with uh, Megan to fully understand a little bit more and how we ended up in this place, because I feel like religion at the base of it is just about love and how we've skewed things in such a way and then how one thing that twisted me in 2016, 2017 is how religion was used to manipulate the their attendees to say like voting for Donald Trump and saying that was for that's what Jesus believes in. Like stuff like this. I have a lot of friends who are super Christian, like really Christian that like voted for Donald Trump. But I'm just like, isn't that against everything that Jesus himself believes. I don't know. See, like, I don't know. And I don't feel like a lot of people do. And they just kind of go with the flow of what's actually taking place. So, and this is my experience, but like, that's what I wanted to ask Megan about is like how we ended up here. Like, how does Mary Magdalene fit into this picture? And our interview was about an hour or so. I could have talked to her for like four hours straight. And I, hopefully one day I can, because it is super comp complex and is very, very in-depth. For me, for all of this, I don't believe that there's one right thing for me at this stage of my life for the wrong thing. Um, like who God is or who Jesus is or who all of that stuff is was portrayed to me in one way. And we, I experience, I share in our episode about this experience we just had with Penelope that was super eye-opening. And like how this, it was has to do with when we went to this hospital. Um and I would just, it's I, its kind of towards the end of the podcast, so I just highly recommend to check that out because it's like listening to what Penelope's environment is and like just paying attention to what she feels comfortable and what she doesn't feel comfortable with in certain situations and like really listening to that for us to pay attention to that as parents. And um, yeah, we talked a lot about that. It's just, it's because she studied these things and I feel like for me, when I interact in the world, it's like, it's just beliefs that were passed down from parents, et cetera. And it's every word has to go along like the Christian Bible that was written. And that's what I experienced a lot, especially here in the United States, especially when I lived in North Carolina. And, and I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with that. Right. I don't want to make somebody, I don't want, I'm not here to say to make somebody wrong. I just, it didn't work for me. Right. It just wasn't working for me where I had to seek out guidance in other areas to find out what is this? Because Religion in all over the world is a massive thing. And Kate and I don't actively go to church. Um, I wouldn't say I'm actively a part of any religion, but I do, do believe in research and search. And, you know, there's power greater than ourselves that are running the planet, but we're all very connected. And I always thought it was weird that like we have to wait for heaven or once we die is we're at a better place where it's like, why can't I just be in a better place here and, and figure that out? And, you know, reincarnation and all of that stuff um, 
is all stuff I've been pondering with over the course of the past couple of years. So that's enough talking. Dive in. Have a great episode. Uh, Megan's phenomenal. It's a great, great interview. Her website is MeganWaterson.com. Thank you guys so much for being here, and I'll see you tomorrow. Welcome to Project Life with Mike Watts. This is Mike Watts, and I have a special guest with us today. Um, Megan, this is actually the first kind of real interview that I've ever done. Well, I haven't, I've done some other interviews, but this is it. Like this is the polished version of season two of Mike Watts that we're coming with you. So I am with Megan Watterson from who currently resides, I should say in Cleveland, Ohio. And Penelope's toy. I kicked on the way down here to meet our meeting is going off in the background. So it was weird. (laughs) I was like, why is that coming from the computer? But then I thought it was the toy. Um, so I have to go turn it off. It won't shut up. Hold on. (laughs) This is your project, Mike. Yeah, this is part of my project parenting (laughs) and just say, I would say, so if anybody out there is is getting gifts for parents, um, things that make noise are horrible, uh, (laughs) small, small items like balls, marbles, Legos, horrible harmonicas, harmonicas, horrible ideas, nightmare. Um, small parts because they get everywhere. At least the stage Penelope's out now, maybe when she gets older. I don't know. Shay's what? You have one son. He's eight. He's eight. Yeah. Is it still the same deal? Like, does he play with little? Yeah. I still resent any gift given that includes a lot of repetitive noise. (laughs) Yes. That's, oh man, it's brutal. Just recipe Uh, for insanity. The other day she was standing behind me with this toy that I just turned off and repeatedly press the buttons i was sitting at my desk and she's just over and over and over and over. i was like you gotta go away go to the other side of the room it was like went on 15 times instant enlightenment how to overcome those moments so how do you handle those what do you do oh definitely invoke deep breathing you know once i'm at the point of wanting to crawl out of my skin then i remember oh yeah oh yeah I can I can take a deep breath right now and uh, this is a test. I can actually integrate my my spiritual teachings into this very mundane moment and make use of them. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Um, so you have written a number of books, uh, "How to Love Yourself," and, and sometimes uh, other people, and sometimes other people. <laughs> the one that I'm not going to the shirt shirt. Sutras, is that right? The, the Sutras of Unspeakable Joy, yes. That's a book sutras? of poetry. Sutras, what is a sutra? Because I have no idea. So a sutra is like a poem. But, but the idea of it is that there, these are poems that are literally sort of suturing together the divine and the human. So, so it's trying to integrate that, that very thing we were just mentioning. Like, how do, you, how do you go from a moment of feeling like completely connected and and having love like course through you to like literally wanting to hawk a toy across a room, you know, and swear and scream. It's like, how do you tether together? How do you integrate those realities so that in those moments of anger and like irrationality, you can actually call on that love. Okay. that, That book was all, that book of poetry was all about me trying to, um, anchor myself to a love that's within me and that I can call on at any point, but that I seem to really suck at being able to call on when, you know, 
I was in a relationship that wasn't working or when I was, you know, in a situation where I was feeling threatened or do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there were, there were times where I was being really challenged to be able to connect to that. And so I, I went through these 40 days where I just showed up every morning and I wrote a poem and it was anchoring me, like suturing me literally to that love that's within me. And have you done poetry before or was this like, I had, but like, I, I'd, I'd never, I'd never called myself a poet cause my, you know, it didn't have like meter and rhyme and it didn't, it was more organic and um, it was more the energy. I would stop when the energy of what I felt like I needed to, com- to communicate was complete. It wasn't like, you know, it, it didn't sort of have the rhyme and rhythm and, you know, it was more organic prose um, than poetry. So I liked the sutras for that reason too. That's fantastic. And then you wrote Reveal. Yes. A sacred manual for getting spiritually naked. Yes. Yes. And then you're working on your fourth book right now. Yes. Um, Are we talking about that or no? Sure. Everything is... I, well, I just, I will, you know, some people are like, don't want to talk about their books. Oh, no, no, books. it's okay. I mean, I think because to a certain degree uh, talking about um, this book is, is really a culmination of all of the books um, okay. and all of my work. It's, so we're not going to mention it yet because I want to, we're going to have a cliffhanger and then we'll come back to it. Cause I think that's all tie in together. <laughs> all right. So first off, I read one of your recent blog posts called why my morning routine takes most <laughs> of the day. So talk to me about that. Like your writing piece, like why is it your morning routine takes most of the day? <laughs> uh, for me as a writer, um, it means showing up every single day without knowing whether you're ever going to be productive or not. Um, because for me, it's like, uh, to a certain extent as a writer, you have to face this reality that we're ultimately out of control, um, every single day. You know, it's like you show up and, and, you know, you, you might, excruciatingly like pulling teeth, you might get words out, you might string sentences together, but you don't know when and if you'll meet with that voice, you know, like for me, there are times when I show up to write and this, this melding happens, this kind of union or this, this synergy happens. And it's almost as if I'm just dictating, you know, I'm listening to something that is loud and confident and certain And I just transcribe it, you know, I just write it all down. And then when it's done, I literally could strut around the room as if I had saved the world. Like that's the feeling is like, I've done my work, people, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't have to do anything ever, ever again. But for me, it's like to reach that point, it takes so much work in getting past the ego and all the different obstacles the ego and stories, you know, that the ego likes to tell um, that would keep me from being able to be in that moment. And so what I liked about writing that piece was getting very clear that people refer to me as a spiritual teacher, but I actually think that it's more authentic and in alignment for me to just describe myself as a writer. But I'm a writer who has to do so many spiritual practices in order to get to that moment of, union, you know, really, really just flowing. Yeah. And 
it takes a certain level of devotion to, to show up again and again and again every single day when sometimes, you know, all I hear, it, you know, is crickets, you know, I just mm-hmm. sit there and like nothing comes and I'm like, you know, feeling stood up. You know? Do you consider that writer's block? Like, because, you know, people like classify it as writer's block. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I, I think it sort of comes and goes. And I think that, I mean, I guess it's a version of it. But mm-hmm. for me, it's really that, um, you know, that's, that's where writing becomes a spiritual practice. Like, that's where being a writer has meant that I keep sort of, you know, chipping away at this version of myself that doesn't get so confused by what the ego would say. Like writer's block would get me really caught up in, oh my God, I'm a failure. Oh my oh, God, God, I'm never mm-hmm. going to write. You know what I mean? So yep. it's like, I try to get away from any stories that, and I just try to remain empty, you know, just keep like any story that would block me. I just let it, you know, and I keep trying to just show up, just keep showing up. Um, so it's, it is a humbling, it's a very humbling experience for me um and do you if people ask kind of like what you do do you say you're a writer yes and have you always considered yourself that yes even before i was published but i used to say it and like blush you know or like get a rash because oh, i was wow. so you know i because uh, i was so terrified they'd say well what have you written you know and of course yeah. well i've written in my journal since i was 13 <laughs> you know I mean, what would I really say? But, but it, it, there's, there is something very powerful about owning, you know, that that's who I am and whether I ever publish or not really isn't the point, you know, that that's how I understood my most um, significant contribution is in, you know, sort of translating these emotions or feelings into words that actually carry those energies as well. So that, you know, the communication, I guess, is the, I just have always known that that's my greatest contribution. That's great. Cause I know, um, like Kate always, she considers herself a writer. Right. And so she had, one of our friends was introducing her to something in one time and said, it, you know, it's one of the, she's a great internet marketer. And Kate was like, I've never associated myself as an internet marketer. Like right. I just don't, that doesn't even, wouldn't even enter her brain. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, what, so is your, so when you say, because a lot of times just to kind of go back to the morning routine piece and how I can understand what your, you know, the article that you spoke about now, like your writing, your process going through it. I actually heard uh, logic, the rapper, I don't know if you know who that is, but he just released an album like two days ago. And I heard a video or an interview of him talking about how he started the album and finished the album from the time he got the idea to do it in three weeks. And what happened for him is kind of what you just talked about with your writing, where it's like, it comes to him, it's a message and then he produces it and it's done. Right. You know, and he gets it out into the world. And if it's that moment where I feel like, what do you say to people who, cause you've worked with now a lot of women, um, you know, in your, throughout your work, what do you say? Because that is like, to me is like really like logic, for instance, is really tuned into himself. He's like, I got to produce this. I got to do it now. And then that, and I feel like a lot of people, we might miss those moments where myself included in this, it happens to me all the time. But a lot of times I just don't document it. I don't do anything about it. I just kind of let it right. Right. 
but then we might be beating ourselves up about because it's like, oh, I don't have anything to write about or I don't have, nothing's coming to me. So like, what have you, how have you trained yourself to really capture those moments yeah, to I, produce your content? Yeah, I think you're pointing me back to a very important um, aspect of why I um, have all those routines is that what it, what it does essentially is create this space for me to be able to really connect and hear what it is that I have to share and, and what wants to come through me. And, you know, especially for women, I think that that's really, that's been difficult or that's been something that hasn't necessarily been emphasized to create is this space to be able to hear and to connect with, with what's most important with, with that creativity and that, um, you know, powerful, je ne sais quoi, that essence in us that has something um, to, to communicate. And uh, I remember Brene, Brene Brown, or no, it was Cheryl Strayed saying that she used this phrase, it was so great, someone was writing, was asking her about a writing process. Um, I think it was Marie Forleo who was interviewing her and Cheryl Strayed said, um, I'm a binge writer. So she, does, she isn't someone who shows up every single day, but what she does is when she feels it coming, you know, kind of like this um, ethereal ocean suddenly hanging above us, right? And like she, she feels it coming and she, then she makes the time, she, she creates the space to then be able to siphon that ocean into words. And so I think that that's a very important part of, any creative process, you know, any, for any artist or any, it's like answering the call, you know, like that's like when you feel that sense of um, it's, it's just like this download, you know, just waiting there. And, and I think for some of us, we don't, we don't necessarily act on it or we don't even know how to carve out that time. Mm -hmm. Like for so many of us, um, that's really foreign to be able to do, to put ourselves first and that creativity first. How does your message or your, as you said, your download, how does that come to you? Like, I know you express it through writing, but like, do you see something in the air? Cause I know Kate, the way she looks at a calendar, it's circular and she can see the map or she'll get like post-it notes or like, I just worked with a client this weekend who's an angel reader, um, which, you know, kind of like similar to Kyle Gray. Um, but she gets, she'll see angels, like these messages. Her first real angel she ever saw was Archangel Michael. Like she was doing a feng shui consultant for a friend and it like slapped him. He was sitting on the wall, right. you know, and it was like, boom. So like, how does this download come to you? And then how do you turn it from a download into a piece of art? Well, so, so that's the part for me where I have to, um, you know, create the, the meditating and the spiritual practices, because for me, it comes in, in the form of like an actual um, pressure, like, a, like an intensity. And the only way I can begin to dilute it is to start communicating what, what's there. And, but but the, 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 the spiritual work of it for me is that, you know, there, there can be this sense of it's too great. It's too big. It's too, you know, like, um, there's too much to try to translate. Like, how can I possibly do this? It's like, you know, how you always make fun of me that I speak unicorn. Yes. It, it really does feel that way though, that, that like, there's this, this 
untranslatable language that's, that's in me and that is downloaded straight into my heart. And then I have to figure out how to translate that into English and in a way where it's not just saying something, it's actually allowing the person who reads it to feel the energy of what I felt when I received it. Hmm. So it, it's really like a, um, you know, like taking each word and like filling it up yep. with that energy. And, and trying- I won't make fun of you anymore then. <laughs> no, I love that you <laughs> say that I speak unicorn. Um, so, but it is, it's, it's a, um, it's a transmission. It's, it's trying to create a Got it. transmission. That's amazing. Yeah. And for those of you, like, I, I wish I would have prepared some, I should have prepared maybe in the intro, probably <laughs> they've already heard it. I'll pull up something that you've sent us if that's okay for, to share. Of course, of nothing course. personal, but just <laughs> from the way Megan thinks is I am so engineer brain and Megan is the complete opposite, right? It's on the complete opposite spectrum where she, I like out there for sure. Right. And so, but it's, it's, and it's not like, I don't, I joke around about it a lot because when we were looking at buying our house, you know, the house that I'm recording this into right now, Megan was like, put, I see a golden egg on top of, I think that was like, I see a golden egg on top of your roof or I'm sending you golden light with a golden egg on your roof. And that's the picture. And so I just found a golden egg, stuck it on a picture of our house and sent it back to the crew, you know? And I was just like, this is amazing. You know, whatever happens, like they accept the offer, et cetera. And they accept the offer. So it happens to be here. So whatever like the universal <laughs> universe is telling us, but just the way Megan, th- like I would never think of looking at a house and be like, I see a golden egg on top of it. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, okay. <laughs> well, it's like what Licia told us um, to put like fruit on our 90 pound citrine that's in our front yard. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay. She's like, it needs fruit. So I would put a banana on it. You know, it's just like, okay. So it's like so outside of, but it's what's cool about it is that I always find like, the it's like I don't want to make people wrong you know and that's the biggest thing is like what I try to share on on this uh, this podcast anyway is there's so many different beliefs that are out there and there's so many different views of the way people think and thought and I feel like we make people wrong a lot based off of that and that's definitely something I don't want to do so if I offended you in any way I'm sorry about that I will publicly (laughs) apologize um I don't I didn't think I did um well you told me I was on the spectrum anyway so it's fine (laughs) You told Kate I was on the spectrum, so it's yeah. I think I can carry this along. Actually, now that I just remember that, I you know I can carry this along for everything. I was on the spectrum for uh, what did you say I was? I can't remember. It was um. How are uh, we not all on the spectrum? Now? It, it'll come to me. <laughs> um. Okay, so I want to I want to kind of transition a little bit into. How do you, so I, I wrote down something that I watched one of your TED talks and your TEDx talk and I wrote down something there, but I just want to talk about, it's like, how do you prepare for your talks as well? So what is your process preparing for? Have you always That's been right. a good speaker on stage? Was it always, no. was it, there's something you had to work at yes. and then just what is your preparation to go up on stage? So the sort of trajectory of that was um, originally, like when I first met Kate at the first reveal I was doing in New York City, I was literally reading from uh, a script of every single thing I was going to say. And my voice was shaking. I was shaking. You know, I had a huge rash on my neck. Like I was so 
anxious, but I was so determined to say what I needed to say and to be up there that that kind of carried me through. And then when uh, I wrote Reveal and Hay House wanted me to be a part of the whole, I can do it, you know, speaking docket, which is still beyond me. I have no idea how I got invited to be a part of that. Um, I had to fly for one, you know, which is an, a tremendous challenge for me. But then two, they were like, you can't bring any notes on stage with you. And those, those talks were the same as like Ted talks. That was how they um, sort of right. positioned them. They were like 20 minutes bursts of, you know, inspiration and we couldn't have any notes. And so what I did for my first one is I simply memorized the whole thing. Um, all 20 minutes was, com was completely memorized. It was the only way I could go out there naked, you know, cause I mm -hmm. felt without the podium and my notes, I felt like I might as well be completely nude on the stage. Um, it, it was a very vulnerable, but also exhilarating experience. And then one Megan did not do the talk nude. It kind of, the way you sound, those two things, it might, there might be some people that'd be like, wow, you actually went out there with, no, there was, she was not naked. Go ahead. Energetically. Yes, energetically. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I, and then I was asked to do the TED Talk and, and Eve wanted me to also do it without, you know, she wanted it to be in my body and that the conversation that she had with me right before I went on stage really created this shift um, where she said, uh, you know, something that I've always believed and experienced, which is the, the body never lies, right? So if we're afraid and we're, that's what we're communicating. Like what people hear is so much of what they receive is what, our, what the body is saying. Forget what's coming out of our mouths. They're receiving what our body is telling just in how we're holding ourselves. And, you know, I realized like, I'm not afraid of anything I'm about to say. Like I have lived, like, this is my story. This is mine. I'm not afraid of anything I'm about to say. And it just sort of, it, and then there was this joy that bubbled up and it was like, oh, right. Like I can be excited about sharing something that I actually own. That's my story. Like, it's nothing I have to figure out how to tell. It's my story. I, it's in my body. My body knows it and my body never lies. And so then it was like, it really created this shift. And I think because I was, you know, a part of that, um, hey house, I can do it. You know, it's called I can do it. Um, for, for several years, I was going and, and getting the chance to walk out in front of, you know, crowds of like thousands sometimes and just wing it from... That, so you said like, so the, the evolution of my preparation really changed by then. By the end of it, I was just, it was more what by I was- By the end of- By uh, the end of that um, talk. speaking, the, yeah, uh -huh. they don't have those I can do it's anymore. Um, I was just going through kind of like bullet points in my mind, just, just, imagining like taking maybe 20 minutes before I would speak and I would meditate to, to clear out any of the anxiety or any energy that really wasn't mine or whatever, just get very centered. So I would meditate and I would run through the, the messages that really needed to come through. And sometimes those would change 
right then, right before I was about to speak. And so then in the moment, I'm, I'm really actually in dialogue with the people who show up, showed up there. It wasn't this prearranged, you know, prefab um, communication. It was something that I felt like was coming um, because I was actually really present. And, um, and, that, and that's, that's how I speak from now, you know, just now on. I don't, my preparation is more about getting clear um, and becoming unafraid about uh, trusting what it is that I know and just sharing my story from that joy. I love that. And then, so you wrote a book called The Sacred Manual for Getting Spiritually Naked, Reveal, yes. right? Yeah. And what does spiritually naked mean? <laughs> um, so there's an, uh, an ancient story of a goddess named Inanna. And I love how like, like right now on Amazon, the Divine Feminine Oracle, it, 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 they say it's like the number one new release for new age goddesses. Mm-hmm. And I love that because there's no such thing as like the goddess is not new age. Goddess is the oldest thing possible. Like there's nothing new age about the goddess. So this goddess Inanna dates back to like, you know, 2000 BCE and um, stories about her. What does BCE stand for? So like before Christ. Why is it called? I heard BC, but I've never heard BCE. Era before oh, Christ okay. era. Yeah. Got it. So, and then she, um, has this story, um, Inanna, of going down into the underworld. She has to pass, pass through seven gates to get to the underworld. She's going to go get her sister, Ereshkigal. So she has to go through these seven gates and descend. And at each gate, she has to take off an article of clothing until finally when she gets to the underworld, she's completely naked. Now, what that represents theologically and spiritually is this idea that we have to get rid of the egoic operating system, right? Like this idea that we are just this separate self and that we have to be threatened, we have to defend ourselves, we have to prove ourselves worthy, like all the things that the ego is so concerned about. The idea is that we can strip ourselves of those false beliefs and ideas about ourselves and get to this core, you know, get to this naked truth, which is that we are a soul. And what's so fascinating about that for me, Anana, so Reveal is based on those seven, it has seven chapters, and it's about a spiritual process that I felt like I went through that reconnected me to that truth that I am a soul, that I can go through this world connected to something that doesn't change, even as everything around me changes, right? So... Um, that very theme is, and this is part of like what I said at the beginning of, um, the, the interview, um, the book that I'm writing now is about the gospel of Mary Magdalene. And in her gospel, she talks about the seven stages that Christ led her through that involve sort of climates or, you know, stages. I mean, it's very similar to Anana's gates where you the, you know, the, the clothing that you have to drop is are like the seven deadly sins, right? So 
um, jealousy and this, you know, belief that we are just a body and darkness and ignorance and sloth and rage, like each of these gates or these climates that we have to pass through, um, are, are the, are the, the, the sort of realm of the ego. And then once we get past them, we're able to be in this state where we're in constant, um, communion, um, with the soul. Like, so we can merge while we're human with this aspect of us that's eternal. And according to her gospel, that's the way that we enter what, you know, evangelical Christians would refer to as heaven, like as a distant future heaven. Her gospel says that this isn't something you have to wait to die for in order to enter. It's that you have to die to your ideas of yourself and you can enter it right now. You have to die. Say that again. You have to die. the. You have to die to these illusions that these seven climates, these, these ideas of the ego, you have to die to that idea of yourself. You don't have to physically die to enter heaven. You can enter heaven right now. It's within your own heart. But in order to purify the heart, you really have to release these ideas and the, the way that we cling to these ideas of ourself that keep us separate from the divine, that keep us separate from the soul. And your book, Reveal, educates us on those seven. Well, Reveal leads women through the, the trajectory. It's really more about, I mentioned Mary Magdalene and, yep. and the gospel. Um, it's really- Oh, but this is, your Mary Magdalene book is talking about this. Is, is only, yeah, the Mary Magdalene book I'm writing right now is just about her gospel and focused on that. So, and, and this process that, you know, she went through in order to be able to be connected. And then, so I want to talk about, like you mentioned BC and the Christ, like, why is it that we have our calendar? Like, why, like, is based off of Christ? Well, you know, I mean, that's not every, of course, not everybody's calendar is, um, but, but ours is because we believe that, well, at least in, within the Christian, you know, world, um, we believe that then time started when, so, so we're, we're, we're saying that when he was born, that's zero, that's when, mm-hmm. when time began. And then, so there's everything before he came to earth and then there's everything after. And um, that the world shifted because of his, um, his life here. And what he created um, is the ability for us to remember. Um, what, what I learned in seminary, which I thought was really fascinating, um, was that, uh, what the truly faithful believe is that he allowed us to enter our human forms without forgetting our soul. And for many of us, that can be a very difficult journey, you know, like a, that can be very diff- difficult work to get there. We might have a lot of um, things we've done that we have to forgive or, you know, mistakes we've made, whatever. But that ultimately, because, it, because of his existence, he created the capacity for us to be able to remember that we are more than just this one human life. Like we are connected now to that aspect of us that, you know, came in and that will depart the, the soul and hmm. that we live on. Okay. So I know we don't have, uh, how much 
time do we have? How much more time? Because we got started late because Penelope was here. Probably five more minutes. Okay. My okay. little one will come burst. I, I can go door. like, I could talk to you about this for three hours because <laughs> the whole piece of like, I'm confused. All right. I was raised Catholic in the Catholic church. We just went to, you know, I was learned about the signs of the cross, the commandments, like all of this. Right. stuff, And like, so that's all I knew at that moment in time. And it never really stuck. Like it didn't feel good to me the way right. that it was. I never understood as well. We're talked about heaven today as well. Like, why am I waiting to die to go to this better place? Right. Like, why isn't, <clears throat> why can't I just live right now and be this amazing place? Right. So that's always been confusing to me. Um, do you have an answer? Do you, do you know why? I don't know. Well, the emphasis became that we had to be dependent on the church in order to reach salvation. Um, oh. And a lot of the, the sacred texts that weren't included in the canon, the canon was created um, in about the fourth century. So what is the canon? The, the, the Christian Bible. Okay. The, the Christian Bible was um, created by the church fathers, like over a series of councils that they held and they met and they determined, okay, this gospel is going to make the cut. This gospel isn't. This gospel is going to make the cut. This one isn't. And some of the gospels that were, that didn't make the cut are ones that have a very, very, very different story about who Jesus was and about what we're capable of while being human. And most importantly, like what it means really to be a Christian. Um, so, and, and some of those texts are the texts that I found the most fascinating when I was in divinity school. Gospels like the Gospel of Mary, where um, Christ was like the most radical humanist, you know, lover of all people, no matter if they're whatever, you know, the most outcast, the most, um, he's, he basically is saying that this is the most, I think the most important lesson that I learned from the gospel of Mary is that we have this idea um, that existence can be ranked, right? Like in this, vertical line like god's way up here mm -hmm. and then the angels you know and then the humans and then like animals and minerals and the earth right, right? and it's all like kind of in this vertical line and and then among us humans that hierarchy exists as well right which is very replicated in the church structure there's the pope and then there's the cardinals and then there's all the priests and they're all male and they're all going down in this hierarchy well, what the Gospel of Mary says is that actually existence is all a circle. Existence is all, we're all equal. Whether I'm an animal or an angel or a mineral, like can you imagine the significance and sacredness of the earth then if, if we felt that way? Like what Jesus was saying is that the last will become the first, right? Like we, we all have equal energy and matter that is love. We are all love. And hmm. we, we all, like what love means is that radical equality, equality, meeting with everything as if it is not separate from you. So that includes the voice of God, that includes the voice of angels, that includes anyone and everyone, a little animal, whatever. It's, we're all, so it's this radical shift of 
denying this idea that existence can be ranked on a hierarchy and it's saying all things, love is the presence of all things equal. Um, and how, how does Mary Magdalene, for those that don't know, you know, how does this, how does she, and this is a much longer conversation, but like, how does she fit into this picture? So she became known within the Catholic church because of Pope Gregory. It's a homily 33. Um, I think it was in, I want to say like the fifth or sixth century. He, he conflated different passages and made her out to be the penitent core. He, he basically called her a prostitute. And so her reputation for thousands of years became the, the prostitute who Jesus forgave. Um, and, you know, those who sin much are loved much and forgiven much and, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but it has absolutely no historical veracity. And the church actually offered a formal apology in 1969 saying that Pope Gregory was completely wrong. Like that that was, that there's no, um, there's no veracity to that at all. And that actually what historians have found is that she was um, a wealthy woman from the town of Magdala who funded, who was part of, you know, funding Jesus's ministry and that you know, those gospels that I said that didn't make the cut? Because one of the things that they were figuring out in the early church um, was what was women's role going to be? So all of the gospels that stated Mary Magdalene as Christ's companion, it's called kenoskos in, in Greek, any of the texts that mentioned her as being his companion, um, they, got, they got rid of those. Um, and so there's a lot of evidence if you read those Gospels, which are as old as the Gospels that did get included in the canon, if you read those, it's very much saying that he considered her his equal, that, that there was a partnership going on, um, and that she had something to teach that he gave to her, that there was a transmission she received that he didn't give to the other disciples. Uh, she refers to it in her gospel as a hit, what was hidden from them. It's like a hidden teaching and they're sort of mystical insights about how we can receive visions in the heart. So, you know, her, her reputation as the whore has begun to shift with Pope Gregory, with, uh, Pope Fra Francis. Um, he, I think they called it, they referred to it as like the restitution or the, I don't know, it was some sort of name basically meaning like they restored her title and her name. And she's now officially the apostle to the apostles, but she's not an apostle herself. So, um, you know, it's, it's all very fascinating, but, um, but basically she was made out to be something that she's not. And um, there's, there's a movie that's coming out very soon um, with Rooney Mara playing Mary Magdalene and um, the guy who played Johnny Cash playing Jesus Christ. Oh, um, cool. I can't wait to see it. It's like, a, it, you know, and I'm just praying, you know, she's, she's not the prostitute. Yeah, it's not like Mel Gibson's uh, interpretation of her. Um, I didn't actually see that movie. Yeah, it was, wow. Um, not good. Yeah, I mean, it was it was more the classic interpretation, um, you know, and like the Jews were to blame for Christ's crucifixion. I mean, it was yeah, it was it was very problematic, um, and and Satan was a woman. It was like, oh wow. 
It's like, thank you, no. I have a question about the women portray, because you've mentioned this, you know, you said this, these two different quotes, like God's word left women out of the story right. and then female body written out of the divine equation. Right. Right. So talk to me about that. Ex- like it's the- about representation. It's really, which is a conversation that's very um, loud and present right now, thank God, but it's about representation. If, if we are only seeing, you know, ma- masculine and male um, voices, like the human male as the penultimate voice of God, then we are internalizing that actually the female body is less sacred, is more disposable than the male. And we also are saying that the masculine is, is more important and we've, we've revered it more than we've revered the feminine attributes, which exist within all of us, right? We're all masculine and feminine. And there isn't a single one of us who is here today without the female body. So it's like every male can actually also revere and understand the importance that like we can't exist without each other. You know, there's really like this inherent union and, and, and uh, dependence on the two sexes to exist. And so, you know, there's this representation that that hasn't existed for women and girls you know to go into a church like i love that you said that penelope was like tried to walk into the church that was like in the hospital and she was like ah, no. oh yeah I'll, I'll tell the story um we went to this it's a long super long story but just to keep it short there's a chapel inside of this hospital that's in portland where we're where kate's going to get end up giving birth and there's, we walked in the chat because we needed to just do a talk. Like Kate and I were going to talk about there. I was like, well, there's some waiting area in the main lobby area. I was like, well, we, let's go sit in the chapel. Nobody's in here. We can just hang out. And I went in like four or five seats in and I sat down. And right when I walked in the door, I saw the stations of the cross of Jesus. And I was actually very disturbed. Like there, like blood is all over him. Like right. he's carrying the crosses. I was like, this is really disturbing to walk into this environment. Right. You know? And I was like, wow, like this is brutal. And so, I sat down and I, you know, I, of course I just, you know, dealt with it and walked in and, but then Penelope walked in and Kate sat down on the first chair and I was like, come on, Penelope, you can sit right here and we'll, mama and I will just talk. And she's like, no, she's like, <laughs> she's like, I know like it in here. We need to leave, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, like that's, and then she, we were, she was running around in the lobby, went in the lobby and sat and she was fine. She was running around. She she's comes up to Kate out. and like sits on her lap. And I was like, do you want to be here when your baby sister's born? And she says, yeah. And she just looks at the room behind Kate and says, I don't like that room, right. you know, and I can understand because the energy just right. for myself as I walked in was like, right. whoa, this is disturbing. Right, right. So I was Penelope as a little girl, you know, my mom didn't know what to do with me asking all these questions at like 10 years old. They weren't religious or spiritual at all. And I'm like, where did we come from guys? You know, like, what are we doing here? Like what, who's God, what's God, whatever. And, you know, for me going into church was that experience. It was like looking around at everybody and being like, wait, are you kidding me? Everyone's talking about God, the father, only God, the father and the son, but there's no, there's no mother there. There's no sister. There's there's this blind, um, you know, alignment to God being a male and a man. And I just didn't understand how people couldn't see that that would be potentially harmful then to everyone, you know, to everyone, because it's, 
and, and over the years, I would have these conversations with priests and ministers, and I would say, you know, I love what you shared, but can I reflect to you the importance of like representation? I don't feel like I exist in this story. Like I, my body, like my, I don't exist in this story when you talk about God being the father and the son only. And it's like, I don't, you know, is God a man? And they're like, oh no, of course not. Of course not. God is much more than a human man. Then why wouldn't it matter what we call God, you know, and how we imagine God? For me, there was a direct correlation between our ideas in the divine and the status of women. Like to me, it just wasn't an accident that, you know, the, that it's women the world over who wow. are disproportionately oppressed and, and violated. So I just thought, how are we helping anyone by imagining God in this disproportionate way and ignoring the aspect of what it means to be human that actually gives birth and replicates God in a very direct way. Like how, how could this benefit anyone to imagine God as only just the male and the masculine? Um, Cause I, I don't think it serves anyone. You know, the, uh, um, the, the biggest thing that's ever helped has like cleared my, cause I was really like, even having these conversations is a little uncomfortable for me just because of where, but I'm open to learning cause I want to learn other people's perspectives, et cetera. But right. like the peaceful warrior, the movie by Dan yeah. Norman, yeah. I watched that movie and it him. really, it cracked me open to a way where I was like, Oh, there's more than this mind. There's been things in my life that have, have given me different perspective. And that right. was the movie that really kind of gave me, um, a completely different perspective on the world. And yeah. it really opened up to kind of the trajectory of what I've done in the last, you know, eight years with work, et cetera. And then being with Kate, all that stuff. But yeah, it was just such a really different movie, you know, perspective from there, but even having these conversations because I just, cause my biggest thing is like, why is there, so the representation of women inside of church one, like I'm on board with that. I was just like, I completely support like the journey and what you've been doing. And it's really fascinating to learn more about it when I can not understand that, you know, when it comes back at to Mike speak instead of unicorn speak. So it's the, but like, what is it about is other religions this way? Cause we've mainly talked about like Christianity at this moment, but like, are other religions this same type of setup and format? Like what is similar between religions? And I know there's differences as well. We don't have to dive into all of that, but is like, is that same structure there? Because what we're seeing now is like, there's rising up in all areas across right. the world. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of religion that's about keeping power structures in place, you know, like making sure that, um, there is that hierarchy that's, that's sanctified through religion and justified through religion. So, you know, some, some cultural biases and norms like homophobia, right? In a lot of parts of our country, it's justified through scripture where, you know, and it's creating this hierarchy that someone who is gay is less than, you know, isn't even worthy of being a part of the church, which to me is like blows my mind, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like how that could have anything to do with religion. It blows my mind because that's not love, that's judgment. Um, so a lot of 
the world religions that I studied when I was in um, divinity school was also unearthing those human structures that were being validated and justified through religion. Um, and, and a lot of them involved controlling and structuring how women would function in society um, and how they would, hello. <laughs> What's up Shay? That's Mike. Hi. Hi. Hello. You this little man in the hole. I world. know. He's not a little. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a giant. My sweetheart. Okay, her uh, Megan's son just got home, so we'll wrap it up really soon. <laughs> um, but yes, it's not unique to Christianity by any means. Um, and and I think what our um, the the current climate is really asking is is for us to understand um, that uh, love you know love. <laughs> Like love allows us to um, create a new world. Like love allows us to imagine what we haven't allowed to exist yet. You know, a, a form of um, community or um, a form of church of, that, that we, we really haven't, um, there's this great uh, British theologian who said Christianity is not a failure. It just hasn't been tried yet. And what he means by that is that really if we, if we study who Christ was and um, what he actually said and not what, what was said about him or not what eventually got, you know, structured out of a, a, a very, um, you know, determined institution to regain power, um, Christ, Christ was always saying that the kingdom of God is within us. Right. Mm -hmm. And that we should love one another and that we should love um, ourselves as our neighbor and love our neighbor as ourselves. And, you know, like the, the radical, like, like I was, I was um, mentioning about deconstructing that hierarchy, deconstructing that idea that existence can be judged and ranked on some sort of, you know, system of greater and less than, um, I, I think that like when you include all these other gospels and when you really look at um, the historical Jesus, um, it's, it's really intimating a radical, radical, radical inclusivity where no matter who you are, um, you're meant to find the divine within, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a female, if you're an outcast, if you're, you know, intersex, male, female, gay, what, you know, it, it it, it doesn't matter. And we're all supposed to be here for each other, you know? And, um, I mean, I, I've been trained to be a minister. Like I've done everything I've ever needed to do to be ordained. It's just that there hasn't been that sense of, um, like radical love, you know, like, like there hasn't been a, a, a church I've walked into where I haven't felt like Penelope and, you know, done, done a U-turn and, you know, where I really felt like the presence of, uh, of Christ. I mean, Christ to me is that, that love that um, renders all things equal. Hmm. Um, and 
I guess it's what I try to create. I mean, through, through what I write and, um, you know, through, through every event or workshop, or I try to create that, that memory, that, that, you know, sensation of that love that is love, that is love, that it, that we can only find from within us ultimately. Thank you so much. Um, I have one last question for you. Yes. So because I'm in an environment that is a lot of very, I, I don't know how else to say it, but basically powerful women doing amazing yes. things, right? Yes. And one of the things I've experienced as an adult male has been this really checking my own, not my beliefs, but it's like, I'm very ma more masculine energy dominant yeah. than feminine energy dominant. But there was a time in our relationship where that almost became equal, right? Where, because we was, I was hanging out in this world of extremely powerful women. So I know in your circles with your red ladies, right. all of this stuff, you're in this education of a lot of what you shared today for women to discover and trust themselves and kind of experience, you know, God for themselves, as well as continually rise, especially the environment we're in now, where it's, it's the, the balance of power, I believe is shifting for a much more positive future. How, is this affecting, so I guess you're raising a son, right? I'm raising yeah. daughters, like yeah. I'm about to have a second one or really, I guess they're raising us. Is that how it goes? I yeah. Guess. <laughs> so like, how does this work for you? Because you're very feminine energy dominant. Right. And like having a giant kid, you know, <laughs> male figure in your life that is this this boy like how is it that's not because i've heard this a lot where like women are now turning their sons into women you know in this type right. of this dialogue where it's raising them not to be but then there's also like what is a man or what right. are we supposed to act like because these getting in fights in bars when we're like 18 years old or like that's right power, right the, the mask of masculinity the book i was just Howard, about to mention that yeah right? the the book that lewis so wrote that I have on my desk and it's coming out in this new direction so like i guess how, what's your philosophy or your idea about like raising your son you know and like well fortunately i have the support of his dad who mm -hmm. feels the same way that um a giant human himself he's <laughs> also a giant um you know, feminism has gone through, like women have been critically looking at their idea of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be female. And part of the reason why we've had to look at that is that, you know, we, we couldn't even vote a hundred years ago. So, right. So, yeah. I mean, Kate's grandmother shared the story when she was giving birth, she was strapped down to a table. Oh God. Because labor was like the birth process that was happening like 70, 80 years ago was so jacked up. And like, oh. they thought these women were crazy. Right. And so they used to strap her to a table, folks. Like, yeah, I know. I know. And, and we weren't given any um, authority or power to, to trust our own bodies, right? right? It was taken from us. But so, so there's so much that we had to look at in order to shift our circumstances. And so we've gone through, you know, like four waves of feminism. But if you think about it, masculinity hasn't really need to, needed to go through that it hasn't had to have that same lens on it to look at what does it mean to be a man? And I think that um, I'm so grateful for books like Mask of, um, Mask of Masculinity because really until then, we, we haven't had a lot of um, male uh, leaders talking about what it means to be a man. You know, in, in a world where women are, are shifting and redefining what it means to be a woman.
So to me, it's been very fascinating to just sort of hold that and allow, to a certain extent, Shay to define that because his father really felt bereft of being able to be an emotional creature growing up. He felt like he, in order to be a man, he had to cut himself off from that and that that was very traumatizing for him to not be able to be in touch with his feelings and his emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not, we're not doing that to Shay. You know, we're, we're allowing him to remain connected to that as best we can. You know, he, there's still so many influences when he goes to school. It's like, oh, you yep. know, he can't wear pink now because then, then it's a girl. And he, you know, he has said things like he can't cry or he can't grow his hair out too long because then it'll be a girl. But we don't say things like that. You know, we allow him to, to create that and, and we'll never say a comment like, you know, stop crying, you're, you're acting like a girl or like stop, you know, never shaming him for feeling like, you know, he's being too emotional and, and that's not something boys do. That to me, I think is, is such a detriment. But I also think that there is a very real cry um, for men to redefine what it means to be a man. I mean, I think that that's really the underlying message in, I mean, none of these mass shooters are women. Like, we don't really talk about that. It's like the, the rage and the anger. And this is what I mean by it doesn't serve to have these systems of power so out of whack. It doesn't serve anyone, right? Like for men to be something unnaturally masculine, you know, it's like we, we all are supposed to also contain the opposite within us. And that's, um, that's so important for us to be able to come to terms with that. And the same for women, like to be able to merge with an, with an aspect of masculinity within them. So they're not leaning on a man to be that core strength, you mm-hmm. know, like they access that within themselves as well. Right. And you're able to really access you know, how you feel and, and to express it in a, in, a, in a way that doesn't come across as rage or, you know, whatever, but you can express it in a way that's natural and that feels like you. I mean, I think it's very limiting to think of ourselves just as men and women. I mean, I really do. Yeah. I, th- I think in a, in a very ultimate way, we are each individual souls with a very unique combination of masculinity and femininity. We're all on the spectrum, you know, of, of what it means to be human and how we express that humanity. And I think it serves us all so much better to just see that when we're looking into, you know, the eyes of this other person, we're encountering a whole different world, you know, mm. and, and not make assumptions and not you know project on them just because they are a man or a woman or gay or straight or whatever you know and just really meet them for the soul that they are. Hmm. Thank you so much, Megan Watterson. I appreciate. I'll talk with you anytime. I appreciate the time. Um, oh, side note: Have you watched? I mean, based off this conversation, um, have you watched Queer Eye on Netflix, the new one? Oh, I haven't. No, I've seen okay. posts about it, but I watched, I was an old fan of I would show. say, like, I never watched the old ones. So, you know, I heard about it, but like, I would just recommend everybody to watch the series. Men, <laughs> women, like, I, I was, I was completely, Kate, like, asked me if I wanted to watch. I was like, no. And then <laughs> I was like, a hard no. It was crazy how it came out. And then we got on, so she's like, what do you want to watch? I was like, let's just watch the first episode. And like, we've been watching them all. <laughs> it, it really challenges because these are dudes that have been on there that are straight. Not all of them are straight, but like straight men that are dr- that drink, smoke, like 
that are this quote unquote with this view of masculinity is supposed right. to be. And they're not happy people, right? right? And so these people come in there, these guys, these five um, gay guys come in there and this is in Georgia, right? And so <laughs> like you can't be, you know, in Georgia. And it's like one's been a cop and interacting with a black dude. There's one that's been, that are super Christian, that their church is against homosexuality and these right. five guys are helping this family. Like it really puts a light. Like I cry almost like I've cried in like three episodes because it's so touching. And I just highly recommend like, this is a great way to, that this is experiencing like helping dudes, I think change the dynamic of what the future is going to look like. And plus, of course, like, you know, supporting women during this whole processes and especially like with just paying attention to what's going on, like those kids, what's happening tomorrow, what marching out of school to support right. like life um, is just, it's phenomenal place. Like I'm so proud to be alive right now. Yeah, yeah I am like, as well. I am as yeah. well. And, and, and I think you're bringing up like that because this, the divine feminine, like you're bringing up the most crucial point, which is that this isn't about women and mm. just female bodies. This is about, um, so that man in Georgia, like for me, him being able to get in touch with his feminine is allowing love to reach where it hasn't been before. Mm -hmm. And that I imagine are those moments, those breakthroughs that touch you the most because yep. it's like there are these hardened spots in hyper-masculinity where they don't let light reach, you know? And it's like sometimes having, you know, these gay men who, who embody their feminine so much more than the hyper-masculine, it allows for this, you know, feminine aspect, um, which has been absent in our world, um, but it allows this feminine aspect to soften what before was like a stone heart inside them. And, and it creates like these breakthroughs but I'm sure that those people are shifted in ways that will, mm -hmm. you know, change the rest of their lives. It, it's amazing. I just say, watch it and then go on Twitter for episode one to see, like, just go on Twitter and search the guy on. It's amazing. I found his Twitter account. Um, where can people f learn? Just follow you. You have an amazing crew of red ladies. Yes. Uh, this um, is just give the, like the, that's like my church. My lady church is red ladies. Um, my website is just my name. And, and it's double G double T. So it's MeganWaterson.com. Megan yeah. And my favorite social media is my Instagram. I, I yeah. don't really visit Facebook. I love Instagram. It's much more. Just Fantastic. And I think if you resonated with Megan's conversation today and you're, I think red ladies is a perfect place to check it out for her. And I will link all this up in the description of the podcast. So you can go to MeganWaterson.com and it's also the same on Instagram, I believe. So thank you so much, Megan, yes, for your time. I really appreciated the conversation and I can't wait to read the new book when it comes out because you'll probably be on the Kate and Mike show. We'll continue this conversation. <laughs> okay, great. I love you, Mike. I love you too. What's up, people? Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. One last thing before we close it out and you let you get back to your day. I've put together a free giveaway actually on mikejwatts.com. You can go check it out now, but it's download my free three tools to make your business life easier starting now. And I gave away three simple tips and things that we use in our business that hands down make our life easier, that allows for scale 
it allows for solid operating structures so we can scale to the next level of revenue. So you can get that free giveaway. It's a PDF download. You just type it in. Plus, you'll also be on my weekly newsletter that goes out every Friday. And I really love it because it's three to four things that I really found valuable in the week and that hopefully you enjoy as well. So you can get all that downloaded over at MikeJWatts.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there and I'll see you guys on the next episode of Project Life. Cheers.